0: Go ahead and take the speed up your number one now. We're on like 273
1: Land Green Dot. Welcome nice Hello and welcome to the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. The Green Dot, sponsored by GE Aviation. My name is Hal Bryan, and I'm EAA's senior editor for print and digital content and publications. And sitting here next to me,
0: I'm Chris Henry. I'm the EAA Aviation Museum Programs Coordinator.
1: And today we are joined in studio by a guest, someone who's very kind to take some time out of his uh, his whirlwind visit to uh, to EAA. Uh, please welcome uh, Mike Zajunas, who is uh, president of uh, the Lakeland Aero Club, a group in Florida who's doing some really, really pretty interesting stuff around aviation and education. Hey, thank you, and uh, good afternoon. Well, we're really, uh, really glad to have you here, Mike. Appreciate it. Um, and we understand that uh, that if we really want people to know who you are, we just say Mike Z.
2: That's correct. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Because no one can pronounce it. My name's not spelled the way it's pronounced, so it's a little confusing.
1: <laughs> I have a first name for a last name, so, so I get used to being called all sorts of things. Um, <clears throat> well, let's, uh, let's get a little bit of your history before we dive into the, uh, the Aero Club and the chapter and all that. Mike, how do, what was your first introduction to aviation?
2: Well, my first aircraft ride, I was a, a little kid. My grandfather was uh, worked for the Port Authority of New York, and I was probably four or five years old, and he got me a ride off of a helicopter off the top of a skyscraper in, in New York. Wow. But the, and I barely remember it, although I've seen the, fi- the video of it, or movie. It wasn't video at those days. Um, but my Aunt Betty learned to fly in 1947, got her pilot's license, not for some heroic war effort because she had a cute flight instructor who she ended up marrying. And she used to take my mom flying when she was a little girl. And, and when I was about, oh, I'd say 10 or so, uh, she would tell me all these stories about flying and they flew seaplanes and cubs on floats. And I built my first stick and tissue um, cub, balsa cub right. model with her. So she's the one that got me into, uh, into aviation.
1: Wow. And so was she taking you flying as well? At that time, she
2: wasn't flying anymore, but the aviation bug had hit. And then I, in high school, went into Air Force ROTC, and we got to fly some things with that. And uh, started learning to fly when I was a junior in high school. Um, my father wasn't into airplanes at all. My mother was. Uh, I soloed an airplane before my dad would let me solo the family car, so here I am pedaling <laughs> to the airport on my ten speed so I could go fly by myself in an airplane. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic.
0: So, so along your, uh, your career, how did you end up uh, being a part of Chapter 454?
2: Well, um, I've been a member of EA chapters, several of them. In fact, at one point I was a member of uh, three or four of them, so I was going to more meetings than an alcoholic. Um, a much healthier
1: addiction yes indeed (laughs) well it's
2: probably every bit as expensive anyway (laughs) true but uh, in our area in Lakeland there are five EAA chapters within about a 25 mile radius and so for a while I was based over at Plant City so I was in that chapter and then the one at Vandenberg so I kind of floated around now that I'm based at Lakeland I got involved with 454 which was the, the chapter credited with founding Sun and Fun which originally was an eaa event right and uh anyway it it, like many chapters had a lot of older guys and they weren't doing very much and uh, this year i kind of got the put up or shut up speech because i was complaining about the chapter a lot and uh, (laughs) one of the founding members said that i needed to run for election i thought okay you know i'll do that i didn't think i had a chance of winning and lo and behold they didn't even have to do a recount. It's Florida. <laughs> <laughs> no hanging chads. No none hanging of that. chads. Yeah. So, so here I am. I came up here. Um, I've been an EA member since 96, I think. And uh, so uh, came up here to Leadership Academy in January. That was fantastic. Uh, it's the first time I've been in snow and... Probably 30 years and <laughs> so, snowed just enough. It wasn't one of your, your monumental one snowfalls. It wasn't our,
1: our famous blizzards. By the way, we're recording this on April 25th, and we're expecting
2: snow th- this coming Saturday. Ugh. My flight's out Saturday afternoon, so I'm just hoping that I <laughs> can beat that. And, but if I'm stuck, I'm stuck. I, I
1: promise, as as we're getting the snowblower back out of the garage one more time this season, we will feel really sorry for you heading back to Florida. <laughs> I promise you that. So, um, you've been at the chapter now for a while, you've got a leadership position in the chapter. Uh, what, uh, tell us about the beginning, what led to the formation of the Lakeland Aero Club as a, as a separate entity?
2: Okay. Um, so the, there's a, a public high school located on the Lakeland airport on the Sun and Fun campus. Um, it started out with about 60 students or so in one of Sun and Fun's old buildings. They'd converted it into classrooms. And it was part of a workforce academy initiative with the public school system to try to get kids, teach the, the core skills, you know, the STEM skills through things that they were interested in. And aviation was one of them. Uh, James C. Ray came to Sun and Fun, was brought there by Rick Garcia from Gulf Coast Avionics, um, who has been that guy who's been supporting youth aviation activities for as long as I can remember. Absolutely. Uh, he brought Mr. Ray around. He saw this thing and built a high school. Um, fifty-three thousand square foot, three-story. Uh, those of you who go to Sun and Fun, you go to the forums. That's in that building, so it's a public aviation um, high school. So all of the electives are aviation-based. Well, part of that deal was this is how our version of the Ray scholarship started. Was the money that the school board was paying in rent went into the flight training scholarships? Oh wow! And so. We started putting those out end of 2012, 2013, um, started putting them out onesie, twosie, a couple of kids getting interested, getting the bug. Um, And to date, we've done 91 teenage private pilots with over 115 soloed. Wow. And there are currently 35 uh, teenagers in our scholarship program taking flight training right now. So you're 17 years old and you're a junior in high school and you've got a private pilot's license. What do you do next? So Mr. Ray uh, decided that the best thing to get, build time in was cubs because they're inexpensive to fly and they require stick and rudder skills and they're, they're really slow. You're building time. Who cares how long it takes? So he donated a cub that needed restoring to the Lakeland Aero Club. The airplane was built in 1953 by the Piper Aircraft Corporation for the Turkish Air Force. So it went straight from Piper to Turkey, where it trained Turkish Airmen for years. Wow! About 15 years ago, the Turkish Air Force retired that fleet of airplanes, and Americans went over and bought them by the container full, only to find out that they never had an airworthiness certificate from the United States. Interesting. So did we just buy a whole bunch of experimental— did We just bought a whole bunch of experimental airplanes. So. The choices were make it experimental, um, sell it to somebody who didn't know it had that problem and we were that entity, and uh, or you could make it meet its original type design and provided you had an FAA office that was willing to work with you and we're blessed to have a wonderful FAA FISDO in, in Orlando. Um, worked with the Mito office and after three years after school and weekends, the teenagers got its first U.S. Airworthiness Certificate April 2nd of 2015, and then we started flying it here from Lakeland. So the airplane has flown from Lakeland to Oshkosh now three times. It flew in the air show in 2015, so if you go back and look, Mm -hmm. there was a little demonstration with one of our pilots who's now a captain flying an RJ for Endeavour. Fantastic. Um, So it's been flown here three times, and the oldest person to fly it here was 19. Wow that's
1: that makes me feel really old but that's uh, <laughs> that is just uh, that is just spectacular and I had never I'd, I'd never heard about uh, like the Turkish using cubs I mean of course it makes sense but uh, but interesting that they were just as you said with no type certificate or you should be everywhere if you look
2: up a piper l18c you'll find out that they built a bunch of them but most of them went into Europe somewhere interesting so they were they so were Germany to... had some a whole bunch of different countries had them that weren't very popular here Wow.
1: Now you, you've mentioned, obviously mentioned, James Ray as being uh, as figuring very prominently in in the efforts that you've got going in Lakeland, and of course we've launched, uh, you know, in partnership with the foundation, we've launched our own scholarship program that we're starting to minister through other chapters uh, around the country, and and uh, um, and so far. In fact, I had just looked at the numbers, and now they're escaping me, but I know that... 43. Uh, 43 total. Um, right think, now, are, they've given out. That's terrific. Well, I'm glad you came, came armed with that uh, that number. James Ray, of course, also a benefactor to EA in terms of our Air Academy, uh, the big lodge over there, mm-hmm. and, and that whole program. Um, I, I, I don't like asking you to speak for somebody else, but do you have a sense for what
2: was it in him that made him so passionate
1: about supporting aviation and young people?
2: So uh, Mr. Ray was 17 years old and was working as a steel worker in Hawaii on December 7th, 1941, and watched from across the harbor the Japanese destroy the Navy um, in Pearl Harbor. And it made him so angry that he joined the Army, learned how to fly, and as a 19 or 20-year-old, he was pilot of a B-17 bombing France in support of Montgomery's portion of the invasion on on D-Day. So Mr. Ray had a great deal of passion for what young people could do. I mean, we, we don't think about the fact that the average age of a fighter pilot in that war was 19 to 20 years old. So he knew what they were capable of. Um, through some personal tragedies with his own family, um, he came to think about what it was that changed his life. And he said it over and over again, that soloing an airplane was the time that he went from being a boy to being a man. You're in control of your own destiny. You're responsible for all your decisions. The the consequences of bad decisions were serious. And it was a light bulb moment for him. So the scholarship with us originally was just gonna be to solo. And the idea would be, you'd be so invigorated that you'd go on and get your license. Well, the world changed. There are black fences around airports. Kids can't hang out at airports anymore. And we were able to demonstrate the need for them to help them get farther. Um, When the Ray Foundation decided to to start this program with EAA, uh, Charlie Becker and his team called me right away and they said, look, you've been doing this for a while, you know, we're not quite sure how to handle this. And what we learned out of this is it's mentoring. It takes, you can't just throw money from the mountaintop. The, The rules that were in place when I learned how to fly aren't true anymore and we really need to offer some guidance there are no school guidance counselors that are versed in this most people's parents aren't well versed in this so unless we've got a support village like eaa we you know they're not going to get very far so what i'm excited about is in talking with chapters all over the country um hearing how they've been re-energized by this opportunity to mentor young people and really make a difference
1: Right, and you, you mentioned some numbers earlier about uh, uh, you've got thirty-five kids right now going through mm-hmm. private pilot training. Um, do you do you mind sharing what uh, for the scholarship recipients you've been involved with directly there at Lakeland? Do you mind sharing like what, what the sort of success rate has been or um, completion rate? I guess I
2: we're up say. into the uh, about ninety-six percentile now. Are you it serious? It wasn't always there. We made a lot of mistakes, and we shared that openly with. Charlie and his team, and they did an outstanding job. I was in the Pathways Committee meeting this morning, and I got to see the stuff that that uh, David and and Kyle and Charlie have put together, and I was speechless. It's fantastic. They've taken the information we've given it, tailored it so that it's flexible enough because each chapter is going to be a slightly different set of circumstances. Mm. And the resources they have put together are brilliant. And I think you you guys are initially going to see very, very high... Success rates with the race scholarship through EA.
1: That's well. That's obviously terrific to hear. Um, you know, you, you certainly said that there's a there's been a learning curve for you guys, and there were some mistakes at the beginning. Was was it that lack of mentorship? Was that the big missing piece at the beginning that contributed to?
2: You know, people my age. I'm turning sixty this year. People, we can't understand how you wouldn't, if somebody was going to pay for you to get your pilot's license, how you couldn't do that. But the world is different, and there are a lot of distractions. And a tendency to want some instant gratification. And just the changes in parenting and the way schools do things, it's more and more difficult for kids to, they don't find it easy to ask for help. So one of the things that we learned was that you've got to really listen between the lines. And it, it's more than just showing them how to go get your pilot's license. You, sometimes we got to recognize that they're struggling with math and they don't want to admit it. Or they don't want to ask for for instructions we have a mantra around our place that the only stupid question is the unasked question Hmm. so we try to take some of the stigma off of that and that's what it really takes is an open environment I mean when we restored the first Cub, we now have five either build or restoration projects at Lakeland Aero Club now things don't always go the way they should things get messed up and we learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes and so as long as the finished product comes out right all right so we got to recover that aileron because it didn't quite come out right Okay, no harm, no foul. We learn from it. And I think that's going to be really important for the mentors that are working in the chapters to keep in mind. It doesn't matter that it took us three years to restore a cub that I could have probably done in a lot less time. The purpose is to teach them. It's not to get the thing done. Same thing with the pilot's license. Unfortunately, because of the, the state of the pilot crisis, flight schools don't have the time to spend mentoring. And that's what I think is the real beauty of this new program is that this is where we step in as a community and do that part, that extra time. I don't understand what a magneto is. I mean, in our hangar, I can take over and put one in your hand. And if you spin it around in your hand a few times and stick your finger on the end of it, you'll (laughs) know exactly what it does and never forget it. (laughs) Not that I'm proposing that anybody do that. That's a nice disclaimer. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, as you work, uh, you know, when you work hand-in-hand hand with these folks, is there, a, is there one story that maybe stands out for you, a, a success
2: story? Oh, my gosh. Uh, one. I can't think of one. I can think of a hundred. Okay, any. okay. Uh, What's your top three? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's, it's neat. The, the first few um, times, we've done five trips to AirVenture, 26 teenagers have flown themselves across this great country in airplanes older than their grandparents. Okay, it takes us four days if it's if it's a good day, and it took us a week in 2018 because of the weather. Literally a week and 20, 20.5 hours flying up in Cub, and we're rattling along with three to five antique airplanes like a like a barnstorming flying circus, and uh, you know stopping along the way. And that changes everyone. They get to see these kids grew up in rural Florida. They don't have the means to do this. They don't have. Most of them have never been out of the state. We have a volunteer that uh, has a campground on the Cumberland Plateau of Tennessee with a 3,000 foot paved sloping mountain runway, cutting the trees. Wow. That's funny for a cub, but they've been flying off of Lakeland, you know, where we got 8,000 feet of runway. It's like flying sure. over here. Right. Um, so they've landed in the mountains. Most of these kids have never even seen mountains. And then we hang out there for a couple of days and shoot skeet and go fishing. we've had. Kids catch their first fish on this trip. We've had kids learn how to shoot skeet for the first time; never shot a shotgun in their life, and ten minutes into it, they're knocking clays out of the sky like they're pros. Um, they come back from that trip, and it's all their parents go, "What happened?" <laughs> totally different individual when they get home. Speaking of,
1: of parents, uh,
2: do you ever have trouble um,
1: sort of convincing convincing parents that this is going to be a, a a good and safe? Any important thing to do? What do, you, what do you tell parents who have have doubts or hesitations?
2: Um, we call, you know, everyone's familiar with the helicopter mom. Sure. All right. we've, we've discovered a more insidious beast. It's called the lawnmower mom. And they're the <laughs> one that mows down all the obstructions in the way. Um, we shared this information with David when they were writing up the materials and they actually have a, a some material that they hand to the parents. If you don't trust your child to have his own, his his or her own, you know, phone without you checking on it, and won't let them have their own email and all that stuff, then we don't trust you to be in an airplane. This is growing up. Mommy's not going to be holding your hand in the cockpit. I get in a lot of trouble because I say that second place is just a first loser. You have, <laughs> you have a responsibility, and the immutable laws of physics that make aviation happen don't care about any of the other minutiae that they tell you in school. Doesn't care what color you are, what sex you are, nothing. Okay, you've either got it or you don't. And so we need people to understand that and the sooner that they realize that, that that life isn't fair and that you make your own success and you can do that with the help of mentors, you know, you're, that's what it takes and the parents have, have either got to decide that they trust us with this task or they're gonna cut their kid out of an opportunity to, of a lifetime so we put it back on them we we've we we do not allow the parents to hang out at lakeland Daryl club they can come visit see what we're doing but they're not allowed to stay there because the, we've noticed the teenagers are a totally different person when mom's there what i've learned out of this whole experience seven years i've been doing this first as a volunteer 2014 at air venture mr ray took me aside and goes this is getting too big you're volunteering 700 hours a year You need to, this needs to be your job. And I have this vision of building this runway and the hangar and all the stuff that is Lakeland Aero Club today. Um, If you treat kids like kids, they'll back like kids. If you treat them as young adults and get them, help them to understand why the consequences of their decisions are what they are, um, you'll find very quickly they'll step up and raise up to the bar. I mean, who would think you could challenge a teenager with, we had one kid get his, Private pilot's license and fly to Oshkosh with a forty-eight hour old private pilot's license. Flew in here. Flew in during the fly-in during convention, wow. two thousand and thirteen. That is just just absolutely fantastic.
1: And um what do you hear from uh, from kids? I, I guess I, I don't want this to be just sort of self-serving. It's like you know. Well, it's cool they fly, but my gosh, flying to Oshkosh is the best thing ever. And we all know that is a that is a huge thing, and it's an important rite of passage for any pilot. But I think getting into a cub and going on any long trip, any reasonable cross-country, uh, is powerful. What, um, what do you hear from kids after they've done that for the first time?
2: Well, first of all, they get to see this great country for what it really is. I mean, from a 1,000 feet in a cub with the door open— it's an eye-opening experience. I mean, it's not what is told to you on the news or on the TV. You know, they meet people. I mean, the interesting thing that happened this year, this past year, in 2018, we uh, we had a, our little cub, 1946 PA-11, decided it was going to try to throw a cylinder off leaving here on Saturday of convention. And uh, so we pushed it into the emergency aircraft repair, and we talked to Don Wade, who built the Sweepstakes Cub right. for EAA. One of the Alabama boys. With the Alabama boys. And uh, we had been talking about building an engine already. So he came over and looked at it. Yep, she's a goner. If you guys can get it off the airplane, we'll take it back to Alabama. We'll get the parts and when it's ready, you guys can come up, we'll put it together and you guys can come back and get the airplane. So through all that, we go into where EAA chapter 75 has the emergency repair station. We took the kids, took the engine off during the air show. There's all this great stuff going on. They'll stop every once in a while to look at what was flying over and then back to work. In three hours, they had the engine off the airplane and in the, the back of the truck. Um, then we went to Alabama to pick up the, get the engine finished and, and put it in the truck, and Greg Koontz is right by where Don's place is, and he was having his annual fall fly-in. So we went there and raised, had the engine on display in the back of our car. And I said, hey, we need some gas money. So we raised about 300 bucks in cash, you know, for gas money to come back up here. And then while we were here putting the engine on, there were some, we were having trouble with the engine. And it was mostly what we didn't know. Uh, Don dropped what he was doing, came up here. The volunteers in the week's hangar helped out. And at the end of the day, we get the Cub back home. But all the young people that were involved in this got to see the true spirit of aviation. They got to see people in the community who didn't know them from Adam helping out with all kinds of stuff. And that was a life changer for all eight kids that were involved in that process.
1: You know, that's always been a fascinating thing for me to think about that. Uh, I I know that, you know, lots of sort of smaller, tight, tighter knit communities like ours would say the same thing about their own Their own groups, but I've never been involved in anything beyond aviation or or other than aviation, I should say, where I would just hop in an 80 year old airplane tomorrow and start just flying across the country without maybe a real plan. Um, But knowing that when I get to a small airport or find a local EAA chapter or whatever else, if I need something, I need to ride somewhere, if I need to borrow a car, if I need a place to stay, if I you know, if I need parts for an airplane or it it breaks down, the community is there. You know, I had been involved in classic cars a little bit, but I wouldn't get in a in a sixty seventy year old car, and just and just get on the highway and go and assume that I could find like minded people and friends and support along
2: the way. Well, it's been amazing. The the first year we brought the Big Cub up, which was our third trip to Oshkosh, so two thousand and fifteen, we just put this overhauled engine on. Um, it was. It was a field overhaul by persons unknown. We just had to rebuild it um, during Sun and Fun this year. But leaving with newly overhauled mags with 25 hours on them. We didn't even get out of the state of Florida. We were right on the Florida-Georgia border. We lost a mag, and we landed at this airport, and they go, oh, you need to call so-and-so. This guy, EA chapter member, comes riding out with another mag off of his airplane. (laughs) Puts it on, times it, sends us on our way, and says, you know, once you get your mag back, send me my mag back. That was it. Jeez. My gosh. Wow. <laughs> and everybody was, we were all flabbergasted, and I was like, well, you know, this is the aviation world I grew up in. I'm glad yeah. to see it hasn't gone too far away from that. I was going to say, you know,
1: we're both sitting here saying, my gosh, that's amazing, and yet it's not surprising. No. I mean, you know, you can hear that story just like that hundreds of times over, and it's... You
2: know, I, I wish it didn't feel so unique to
1: aviation, but I, I, think, I think in so it's, many ways it's it is. I think it's unique
2: to the world that we live in now. And I think aviation's one of the few last holdouts of that community spirit. And I think that's what EAA's greatest strength is in its chapters and its community. And, you know, I get to, one of my other things that I do is I, I help people with flying over to the Bahamas, which uh, Grand Bahamas is actually closer than Key West to Lakeland, so we fly over there a lot um in fact lakeland just became an international airport and the first international arrival was teenage lakeland aero club members flying a 182 over to grand bahama for lunch and came back and did the first international (laughs) arrival to lakeland oh my
1: gosh you can go to you can go to the bahamas for lunch yeah oh that's amazing that's it we're moving it's snowing (laughs) it's snowing here this week these guys are
0: going to the bahamas for lunch (laughs)
1: That is just fantastic.
0: Well, one of the things I wanted to ask is how does it feel to be part of, you know, you have to be able to visibly see a transition from when these people, these kids first get there along their character development, along while they're there and they they grow as they're learning to fly. How does it feel to be part of that?
2: Oh, it's, it's an amazing feeling, and, and what I'm excited for for all of the EAA chapter members who are going to be mentoring the students in the Ray Foundation is that they're going to experience what I experience every day. I mean, they come walking into my hangar at the age of 14, and so they're two years before they can start flying. Um, we have a Redbird FMX simulator that was built by a team of teenagers, and uh, they, we have a, a retired um, flight safety instructor who comes in and teaches them. So they grew up flying desktop simulators. And so they're used to that toy. And so we transition them from toy to airplane at 14. We are rolling out because our scholarship program has gotten so competitive. We're actually rolling out a program where we're gonna use the Redbird. We're gonna take them at 14 and 15 years old, all the way through private pilot in the sim. FA written, mock check ride. And we're gonna give them a certificate That'll be the fast pass for the scholarship. Interesting. It's going to jump them to the head of the line because this is a young person who's already done all the maneuvers, has got the written out of the way. That's going to be a good bet. So instead of giving them $10,000 to learn how to fly, we can give them five. And now they've got money to work on their commercial, their instrument, the tailwheel, all that other stuff that we like to do. That's
1: really fascinating. Now, this is something you're going to implement,
2: but I haven't started this. We're starting at this school year. She okay. took some basic tasks: checklist usage, takeoff on the center line, climb at the right speed, pattern altitudes. Well, they blaze through that; they're doing fine. Then, I mean, there's one scenario in the sim where you land on an aircraft carrier that's docked in a city, right? And so. I mean, she's doing that with 14 and 15 year olds, Atlanta 172 on a docked aircraft carrier, which is a short field landing. And, and because she ran out of stuff to do so we started um, this conversation about, well, gee, you know, maybe, maybe uh, we could be having pilots starting earlier. Uh, when I was here in January for Leadership Academy, I was flying home on Envoy. And so a little Embraer 145 from Appleton into Chicago, the pilot, the co-pilot and the f- flight attendant were all under the age of 25. Wow. And we were flying at night in snow into Chicago O'Hare. So it's the Super Bowl in a little <laughs> tiny Embraer 145. And they, you could tell they were hand flying the airplane. And I thought to myself, you know, back in the day, airline pilots came from the military. So they were 35, 37, 38 years old um, with that military experience. Now we've got people who are the age fighter pilots are trained at. So if we can improve their experience, <clears throat> either through training or right. actually adding years to it, maybe we're on onto something of, of that's the new world. We're going to have these younger, perhaps more capable, if they're trained properly, airline pilots.
1: Well, and I, I don't think anybody here would argue that, uh, uh, that more stick and rudder skills, more cub time, Especially early on in the training, uh, is is always going to be a big win.
2: Well, we've got, we allow students that are 14 years old to get their glider solo in a glider with our scholarship program. And we've got about uh, four or five young people who have done that. And the difference in their stick and rudder skills is night and day above everybody else. And uh, we do a, an event for the community mayor's breakfast it's all the who's who in the zoo at lakeland in the spring before the son of fun and one of the things that we do is you put your business card in the thing and you go for a ride with the lakeland aero club number so 18 year old layton who uh, sold a glider when he was 14 actually was 19 at this time he sold a glider at 14. Uh was going to take this lady business lady who was the lucky winner of the drawing up for a free airplane ride and she was very concerned about getting into an airplane with somebody who was the age of her son. And I said, "Ma'am, there's nothing to worry about. He has five years of piloting command experience already at 19. <laughs> and so it Just
1: blow your mind. It,
2: yeah. I mean, he's, and he did a beautiful job. And the other thing we do that's kind of fun, and I think this would fit very well into the Flying Star program, we have a program that we call Classroom to the Sky, where we invite teachers Into our campus, and we teach them how aviation is STEM. You can teach all the things, and we'll do a little ground school and we'll do something simple like weight and balance calculations so they can see how that you can use aviation as a tool to teach students the basic uh, subjects. And at the end of it, they can go for an airplane ride. And now we have enough licensed teenage pilots to take the teachers up flying. And uh, I understand that one of them negotiated a better grade while they were up there in the cub with the door open. But I don't know <laughs> what all was said. <laughs> we could do some power off stalls. And yeah, yeah. Maybe repeat that until and we steep get. Steve turns to-, to the right. Yeah. With the door open. Yeah, that's, that'll get your attention. That'll get you from a B to an A, I think. Yeah. But it was a, it was a pretty uh, moving experience for these kids taking their teachers flying in the in the in airplanes. And it changed the dynamic between those students and those teachers because at that moment, those che- teachers stopped treating those kids like kids. We have a saying, there are no kids in cockpits. And I hope that EAA will adopt that, that thing. They're not kids once they solo an airplane. Right. Okay, and Mr. Ray believed that. It's a mantra we, we try to catch ourselves from saying, kids, once they're a pilot, you're solo, you're a pilot. And we try to not call you a kid anymore. Because we're expecting you now to be a young adult,
1: and that's even uh, even holds true for your 14-year-old glider pilots. And once they've once they've been pilot in command alone in the air in the aircraft,
2: that's right. And, and it worked for Mister Ray's generation in ways that we still are celebrating today. Right. Um, it still works. And I, I EAA came and did a story about us. It was in this month's chapter magazine, video magazine, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it was fun, Jim came, Jim and his crew came for a day and stayed for three. And <laughs> <laughs> he does uh, that. <laughs> and uh, But the other interesting thing that happened is two thirds of our members are more interested in being mechanics and engineers than pilots. So as a, as a completely unexpected consequence, we're getting kids that want to be mechanics and the mechanic shortage in the world is even worse than the pilot shortage. It's not quite as glamorous. Lakeland's building a maintenance repair overhaul facility that's going to have 700 jobs for aviation maintenance technicians right in little old Lakeland. Our high school has an uh, FAA-approved 147 airframe and power plant course. So these kids are going to be able to come out of high school and look at starting salaries at $50,000, work at this MRO right out of high school that's fantastic good for them so i think what is going to happen with eaa chapters as they get into this is there's going to be more and more of them hands-on the chapter in sebring 1240 i think it is i'm sorry to you guys if i got your number wrong um they've been doing build projects now for a while they were a a scholar recipient right that program has grown like ours for the same thing a little bit of money from the ray foundation took an EAA chapter, energized it, and they made their mission getting these kids to work, build airplanes and fly airplanes. And that chapter is one of the most energetic chapters I've ever seen.
1: So you used an important word there. The word is mission. And, uh, and we had talked a little bit before we started about, uh, I think you might even use the term missionizing, missionizing chapters. Can you speak to that a little bit about, uh, about the, the benefits of that, the importance of EAA chapters out there? adopting a a mission
2: all right so to give you an example um, we we call it missionizing your event for success so whatever it is so prior to my taking over uh, as president of eaa 454 they would hold pancake breakfast just to hold him pancake breakfast because that's what ea chapters do and they'd make a couple hundred bucks when we would throw a pancake breakfast with a mission that we're buying a cylinder for our airplane or we're making money for our trip to Oshkosh or we're paying for somebody's tailwheel endorsement, we'd make a thousand. Same crappy pancakes, same location, (laughs) same airport, same community. People are willing to now, instead of paying five or six bucks for breakfast, throw in 20 because they know it's going to a cause. And so by putting a very specific mission on everything your chapter does, you know, we're helping Johnny go to to a summer camp in, in Oshkosh or we're we're, we're going to help you get soloed in an airplane. All of a sudden, people want to support that because a mission has a beginning, a middle and an end. And we have we have moved from here to there. All right? And when people can see that movement, now they're willing to support it to just throw money at, at, at you know, guys, because you're, you're making pancakes on Saturday. eh? who cares? so for no more effort on your part by adding that mission element that we are going to identify and so if the chapter the neat thing about the Rave scholarship is you're going to adopt this kid this is your mission everything for the next six months is going to be about him and maybe it'll continue on or maybe the next mission will be his friend or her friend this is this doesn't stop this is a pass-through program. These kids grow up and they move on. I mean, the first young man I've taught to fly in our program is is flying an RJ900 for Endeavor as captain. Terrific. Wow. At 23. <laughs> At 23. Wow, that's
0: wild. So, wow. I mean, obviously there's an aviation focus on everything they do there. Um, but and you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. Are you seeing um, some skills develop outside of aviation, like social skills, things like that?
2: absolutely one of the other sayings we have is we're making better citizens so everything at lakeland air club we have a twelve thousand five hundred square foot hangar clubhouse facility and a 2200 foot grass runway yes we copied pioneer <laughs> gene, gene conrad's our airport manager he makes no bones about the fact that he uh he liked what he saw here growing up his dad uh-huh. was the airport manager here um oh, interesting. and uh, so no we we have a 2200 foot runway that the Lakelander is essentially exclusive use for the Lakeland Aero Club. I mean, it is a public runway, but it's a runway to nowhere. The taxiway only goes to us. Um, you can't do touch and goes on it because it's too short. It's 2200 feet. So um, they have to mow the runway, they have to roll the runway, They have to mow the grass around the hangar, they have to take out the trash, they have to do all of that stuff, maintain the airplanes, maintain the records for the airplanes. They get it and they do it. We don't have a cleaning service; and other money for that. We're a not-for-profit charity, standalone five hundred one c three, and we are funded entirely through our fundraising efforts and donations and grants that we get independently. Now,
1: yeah. really, it really is compelling when you lay it uh, when you lay it out like that. You don't think, um, and I, I hope that uh, that other chapters as as. Um, you you joke about sort of oh you copied pioneer but really you know what what we're doing with our participation through the chapter level is is we're trying to emulate what you've done we're trying to take as you have so graciously shared with 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 us and the rest of the chapters uh, vicariously about uh, what you've learned we're trying to take that and scale that you know on this on this national level but it's um it seems to me like there's a progression there and 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 as we've talked a little bit about that first step is, well, okay, here's you know here's some money. you go do your flight training. I will know, you need money and you need this mentorship and everything else but but the aspect of of thinking about uh, what do you need to do to help mold these young people when they're when they're not in the cockpit is uh, is pretty fascinating, but it sounds like you've you've figured that out too. Well
2: it sort of comes it comes with it. I mean there's a responsibility with aviation it comes pretty right. it's very clear very quickly to young people and I we have found it's easier to do this if you start them at 14 than at 16 even though they're not flying yet because they're a little more moldable by the time I know when I was 16 I knew everything right and the only person <laughs> My, I think my dad was the dumbest guy on earth, and the smartest man on earth was my flight instructor. <laughs> so, um, were we brothers by any <laughs> chance? But that's or sort of that a normal. Family? That's sort of a normal part of teenage males' development. And I'm sure there's a similar thing with with girls, and they're finding their way. And solo is sort of that rite of passage. Between being a boy and being a man. You sold an airplane. Your dad didn't sell an airplane unless you grew up in an EAA and your dad was an EAA. But, <laughs> right. but the reality is that none of our kids are coming from aviation families. Uh, you know, we have that little party we have down in Lakeland in April. Uh, so a lot of these kids come out as young kids and see Son of Fun and they get inspired. And now that there's a high school that's built right on the campus, on the airport. Now there's a path forward. So as soon as there's a path forward, you've got that next thing. And the mentoring evolves. First, you're going to mentor this young person about getting their pilot's license and getting them soloed and helping them with the written. And now they're having, you know, normal growing up questions and they're going to talk to you. You know because they trust you you help them do something they wanted to do and so that relationship builds and they're going to ask you questions about how did you get started in the airline or how did you get into this career field and you know i'm the first one to say i don't know but let's find somebody who does and so we find and so we look for internships and recently noah just moved the hurricane hunter fleet to our airport We've got a couple of their pilots that are now volunteering for us as flight instructors, which is way, way cool. That's excellent. And, uh, but they've offered some of our kids internships working at NOAA. There was a career that wasn't on anybody's radar. I yeah. mean,
1: No pun intended. I, I, but yeah. <laughs> And, and,
2: and w- one of the guys that graduated from CFAA years ago prior to, to all of what we had at Lakeland Aero Club, is just completed as officer training for the NOAA Corps, and he's coming back to Lakeland to fly for them. Wow,
1: that's that's got to be incredibly gratifying to see see you know people like that come full circle and and come back. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask about this is maybe this is kind of two sided question, but um, you talked about you've got uh, you've got a lot of young people coming through who are more interested in uh in you know sort of the maintenance and the hands-on side of things necessarily than actually flying as a career um are you still encouraging them to learn to fly is that still an important part of their development
2: um we don't want to push i mean resources are limited so sure. if you don't want to fly it don't want to fly now part of the thing we do is we've got a bunch of a fleet of, of we got two cubs and a 172 in flying shape now so we go flying after school and everybody wants to go flying I mean, even the kids that aren't really interested in becoming pilots are interested in going up in the airplane. And right. they go with us when we go on, you know, we come to, to Air Venture. We also go to the new youth fly-in in Triple Tree in June, right. Triple Tree Aerodrome. Um, we go up in fall for the the big Triple Tree event. And we go to uh, Thomasville. Um, so anytime there's a decent fly-in, we go. We take as many people as we can get in our vans and our planes. and off we go to, to these events to get them excited about different things I mean I was telling you about the Redbird that was assembled by a team of teenagers we sent a 15 year old boy a 15 year old girl and an adult mentor out to Texas and Redbird was working with us on a sim and they wanted to see they were kind of putting me to a challenge they said you know we, you, we hear you talking about your student run well prove it you prove it and we'll help you out with a sim and uh we sent these, these two kids out there, and they built a sim, and they learned how to operate it, and they troub- learned how to troubleshoot it, and they got Redbird installer certificates, and they took the sim apart and crated it up and shipped it to Lakeland. <laughs> and it arrived two days before the fly-in in 17, and they assembled a team of teenagers while the president of Redbird sat on a chair with a clipboard and watched them build that sim in two days, and they had it flying and the young lady that was in that project decided she liked engineering, and she is now studying to be an aerospace engineer, and she's already SolidWorks certified That's in high school. Classic. She's graduating from high school this Jeez. month. My <laughs> gosh. My high school was such
1: a waste of time by <laughs> comparison. Yeah. Um, so kind of the flip side of that uh, that question for me then is, is for the students who are there to learn to fly. Um, Are they encouraged to get hands on and understand the maintenance and restoration? Absolutely.
2: Because you know, you've seen the you've seen all the diagrams in the in the pilot's handbook of aeronautical knowledge about how an engine works or whatever. Do you think you really find your way around the engine? The neat thing (laughs) about our hangar is there's always something being worked on and that they can put their hands on it. You want to time a mag? Let's time a mag. How does that work? Why does it work like that? We have a museum, it's not near as grand as your museum, but we've got cutaway engines and things that we can go into and you don't understand how this whole thing works, we got one, push the button, the motor turns and the little lights come on with the spark plugs fire. So we have the, the, the opportunity to spend a little extra time and that's the exciting thing I see with the chapters having. This is your mission, to take that extra time. You don't You don't know what this does, follow the hose where does it go? Oh, it goes to this oil thing or it goes here. Um, don't just tell them, oh, that's a magneto and walk on. Follow the leads to the spark plugs. Well, it's if it's going to the spark plug is hooked to it, it, must have something to do with making spark. Work them through thinking through the process. Now, when they're going on their check ride and the examiners asking them about how the carburetor works, they know it backwards and forwards. They're not memorizing it. They know the answer. Our slogan at Lakeland Aero Club is making tomorrow's greatest aviators today. The flight schools have a challenge to crank out pilots because we have a pilot shortage. They don't have time to make aviators. They have to check boxes and get people through as quickly and as affordably as possible. That's the unique opportunity I see that EAA has to take all the stuff we've been saying for the last however many years that we've been an organization, and I'm proud to be a lifetime member of EAA, Here's your chance. Show your stuff. Show these young people who want to know what you know. Show them. Take the time. Right.
1: And I think one of the most powerful pieces of this is is that there the resources are there now. Thanks, uh, overwhelmingly to to uh, the James Ray Foundation. The resources are there to see that result you're talking about. You know, um, you know, our Young Eagles program is is a wonderful thing, and we're obviously extraordinarily proud of it. Uh, that's a wonderful way to 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 plant seeds and to you know and to cast them sort of far and wide but then to be able to sort of do the flip side of that and say here's money the chapter is going to donate the time and we're going to we're going to go from zero to pilot with you know with with somebody and I think um, I think that's one of the things that makes it most compelling
2: actually the most interesting thing I've seen out of this I hoped it was going to happen and it did the chapters that didn't get a grant from the, for, to, for a Ray Scholar are having the conversation. They're looking at their bank accounts. And they're thinking, well, you know, we got the money for this. Um, EAA has put together the resources so they're not going to get they, – that they'll understand how to do it now. And those resources are available to chapters even if you didn't get the money. I was at, recently at an EAA chapter. There were 50 members in there. Most of them were my age or older. And there was young, one young man, teenager, that had been hanging out the chapter. And they all liked this kid. They were always saying nice things about him. I and I was there to talk about flying to the Bahamas. And my friend that had invited me, he says, listen, you got to take a minute and tell, it, tell these guys about what you're doing. This is about five years ago. And so I started talking about what we were doing with the scholarships and all of that. And the lady said, well, that's great. You have the resources of Sun and Fun and all this stuff behind it. What could we, a little EAA chapter, do? I looked around at this room of very engaged people, and I said, if every single one of you in this room made a commitment to that young man right there for one hour of flight training, for the cost of going out for a nice dinner, you guys collectively will have made a pilot. That's wow. what I mean by missionizing your event. You take ownership of it. And if every one of you 50 people did this, you'd, you'd be done. You don't need the Ray Foundation's money. So the neat thing that's happening is now that EAA has taken the time to put the structure together, how do we do this? I think people didn't want to gamble their hard-earned money sure. and not sh- have some uh, you know, assurance there's going to be success, some pathway to success. Well, now that they've created this document, that's available to every EAA chapter out there. So I would challenge everyone in EAA to think that through. If you committed to some young person, that kid that's... Hanging out at your hangar, and wants to. All he's there all the time. Always bugging you to go fly. Let's make him into a pilot. That's all for the cost of going out for dinner. Make a commitment to make this happen.
1: It's a an excellent way of looking at things. It was absolutely wonderful. Well, Mike, I'm uh, I'm looking at the clock. I think we're kind of up against it. Chris, did you have any? Uh, any I'm
0: I'm actually just blown away by what you guys are doing. <laughs> I, I I'm sorry, I'm quiet on this one. But it's been a pretty inspiring episode. So.
1: Well, Mike, uh, thank you so much for taking some time to, to join us, and uh, um, we hope you enjoy your visit to Oshkosh. We hope you get out of town before the snow returns one last time here in <laughs> April. Uh, and uh, uh, with that, thanks as always to uh, everyone out there listening. We appreciate it. Uh, you're tuning in and downloading uh, the episodes, whether you get them from uh, iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, uh, hopefully Spotify sometime soon, uh, or you're getting them directly from our site, inspire.eaa.org. We really appreciate all the feedback we get. The reviews on iTunes, uh, the comments on social media, uh, emails to feedback at eaa.org uh, are the sole purpose uh, that we're able to keep uh, keep the show going and, uh, um, and keep... Uh, finding people like Mike to come join us and, and uh, share some of these, uh, these terrific stories. So with that, thanks once again to all of you for listening, and we'll catch up with you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot.